Welcome to the last episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast that I recorded before I went and drank the ayahuasca brew in Costa Rica. This podcast is with Elizabeth Shapiro, and it might be, truly, it might be the most in alignment with the mission of this podcast episode I've ever done. I don't want to give too much away, but if you listen until the end, she shares something that is very likely about to become a core piece of what I am going to teach and share for maybe the rest of my life. And I owe credit to her. It was truly one of the most powerful moments that I have had on a podcast. And, um, I want you all to hear it too. Also, she wanted me to let you guys know that anyone listening to this podcast who is interested in um, coaching with her, you can go check out her website. And um, I highlight, like, you guys are going to feel her vibe. And it's going to resonate with some of you enough that you guys are going to want to reach out. And I, I support it completely. Um, also, she recommended something to me in this podcast that I am going to, I'm going to use this technique that she uses with teenagers to help them connect to themselves. And I'm going to use it when I go do ayahuasca. Um, and by the time you guys hear this, I will have probably have completed my trip. And I will bring back the story of what that looks like. But um, I'll see, well, I make kind of a big deal of it in the podcast about what it is, so it's not going to be a surprise. But this was truly, truly a special episode. And um, if you want to connect with her, check out the description in the bio. And this was an amazing podcast. Thank you guys for listening. And I can't wait to bring back whatever my truth is after having done ayahuasca. So this is officially the last podcast that was recorded before I left. I hope you guys enjoy. I fucking love you. Please rate and review and share this if that feels organic to you. And I'm a motherfucking Stacy. Elizabeth, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, you have been one of the most enjoyable people I have ever emailed back and <laughs> forth with. So thank you for bringing that energy to the emailing because it's taken quite a few attempts for us to manifest this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I am in a deep uh, practice with trusting the just rightness of all things right now. So these are these were perfect opportunities to practice <laughs> that way of being. <laughs> so thank you. Absolutely. And yeah. I asked right before we got started, and then your answer was so good that I had to hit record. Um, <laughs> let's say that you just exited um, doing one of your rituals that we will get into more, and you're in oh. what you know we would call a flow state. And I asked you you know, in the very naive American male way, what is it that you do in the world? Like what, what is your occupation? Um, how would you describe what that is and what it is you do? Mm. Um, yeah. So I thank you for the question. Um, 
I do therapeutic rituals and ceremonies and energy work and integrative counseling. And really, what I feel really powerful, powerful, it's <laughs> a great Freudian, I feel powerful when I'm doing this work and I feel passionate <laughs> about it, <laughs> um, of really empowering people to find their own way to connect to that which is greater than themselves and to liberate people from this kind of consensus reality spell casting that we collude with around spirituality, around um, partnership, around uh, self-love and self-compassion. And so, um, yeah, really working, working with people to, to empower them to find their own way to awaken the ritual intelligence that I believe is living inside of everyone. And as someone who I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I've been working as a therapist for many, many moons, and I found that talk therapy is just not enough. And I'm finding the the potency of integrating ritual and ceremony and the power that has on knowing ourselves and loving ourselves and healing and holding ourselves. A beautiful thing that I've noticed that I really like because it's one of my like personal interests is you specifically, and it seems intentionally twist or change or transform some of the common phrases that we say and my intuition there is because that's a part of the collective illusion that we're co-conspiring with. Oh. But a really interesting one, uh, which I think about a lot, is the word amen. Like you said something before the podcast started that I was in complete resonance with. And I said amen. And you very light, like full of lovingly said amen, a <laughs> woman, earth hallelujah. And I thought that that was fascinating. Um is this something that is that has been an intentional change for you? Like this rephrasing common, you know, colloquial terms? Or is this something that just kind of spontaneously comes through you? Um, yeah, I love having my way with words. I believe that we are all great and powerful uh witches and wizards of sorts and our thoughts our prayers and our words our spells and every action and choice that we make is in direct conversation with that which is greater uh whatever you like to call it um, the divine great mystery spirit source uh, the universe and so i am very mindful of the words that i am using and my um, intention and where I'm putting my energy. Because what I found is that wherever we focus our energy, our attention, our intention um, is what grows. And that is, again, what I'm, what I'm finding, what I'm so passionate about is as I'm supporting people in, in connecting to their own uh, ceremonialist, their own ritualist, Really, how we can make our lives more sacred is literally just deciding so. Like life becomes right. sacred when you say so, right? It's your intention that gives any uh, ceremony, any ritual, or really your your life, um, which one could say is the greatest ceremony of all time and the greatest spiritual practice, um, that much more more meaning and more power. 
So I have a normal structure that I tend to do, but I don't feel called to do it today. So I'm just going to ask the questions that come up because there's so many. The first one is, what Beautiful. was your thank first? You for, thank you for that listening. Absolutely. Um, the first one that comes up is, what was that? For a minute, though, if that Let's talk at the same time. This is the New Yorker coming out of me when you're not interrupting. <laughs> it's like, can we hear each other? I don't know. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Um, I just wanted to say, Eric, the I just really appreciate the practice of really listening with the ears of your heart to what's actually needed in the moment and letting go of a perhaps more formulaic uh, structure. And it just feels like a really important um, way of humaning. And so I just really wanted to punctuate that. And thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for being a mirror, like I said in the email, that brings forth you know this part of me that... I think is more feminine, more intuitive, and has a type of wisdom that the analytical masculine mind can't get to. Hmm. The question that came up is, what was that first moment for you where you recognized that talk therapy couldn't get you to the same place as what you're now realizing ceremony and ritual can? Hmm. Mm. Well, I think of my own journey as a, a young person in therapy, perhaps maybe where that started, and feeling something was missing and something wasn't working. And that could have been a lot, you know, several things. Um, but as I've gotten older and I, I guess it's both yeah my own experience as someone who has been seeking support on my own path of emotional wellness and then as someone who has the privilege of being an ally and a guide and a support to the precious tender hearts of others um, it, it's actually it's 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 kind of like what you just named you know I bless our brilliant strategic, analytical minds. Like I literally blow mine kisses sometimes. I'm like, oh honey, you're really <laughs> doing your best. Like, yeah. like way to go noticing everything that's not working. Like I think about um <laughs> I like to think that, you know, once upon a time we had ancestors, right? Like the earliest beings. And like maybe some of them were super chill, right? Like some of them really just like stopped. They like lived from their hearts. They smelled the wildflowers. And those bitches got eaten, right? Like they died. Yep. <laughs> and then there are the other ones who I think were really neurotic and were just like, ah, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And I'm like, oh, and we are from them. Thank you. Yep. Like, thank you for surviving and the evolution of our minds that now have this negativity bias, right? And so we spend a lot of time living from um, that place. I just had the opportunity to see Michael Mead speak. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books or listened to him, but um, no. very much speaking to, oh my goddess, Eric, you will love him. <laughs> um, so he, he was speaking a lot about our culture and like the logos of our culture, the, the analytical thinking mind, which we need, and it needs to be met with the mythos, which, with our imagination, with, with greeting the mystery. And I feel it's just as important to tend that which is not here, that which doesn't exist yet, just as much, if not more, as what has already happened or what is happening. 
Um, and then I could go on a whole, like pull another thread and jump into a portal about our culture's war on the imagination, but I'll just write that on a sticky note and put that on the side and go back to your question, um, <laughs> which is ways to bring us, <laughs> which is, um, you know, that talk therapy can be very intellectual. Like we're thinking about our feelings perhaps too much and we're trying to fix and figure out and the whole um, system of therapy is really uh, based on a medical model where the basic assumption is something is wrong, right? What, what's wrong? And I prefer to be curious about, well, what's happened? And usually things that have happened and we get we experience wounds and we experience trauma. And so many humans are just walking this earth with these unmetabolized wounds and grief and trauma. And so many humans are acting from that place, right? And that's why a lot of things I feel aren't working. And so what I found is getting people to um, participate in these more uh, creative realms, like the there are different windows of knowing and experiencing the world and the mind is just one of them. And then we have, you know, our emotional body, we have our physical body and our somatic, and then we have our imagination, which is actually another beautiful window to know ourselves and understand the world and is actually incredibly um, useful in healing ourselves. I mean, if you think about how much, um, suffering we can endure from our imagination, whether we've like are creating the movie reel of every past uh, air quote mistake that we've made, or even in villages where there's like voodoo magic and people die, right? It's that powerful. Our minds are that powerful that they can hurt us. They can certainly heal yeah. us. And so with ritual and ceremony, the psyche actually doesn't know the difference right? So like, even when we're dreaming, the psyche right. doesn't know like, this is a dream. The psyche's like, whoa, right. okay, this is happening. And so for example, especially with, you know, honoring transitions and transformations and whether you are, your soul is craving an unconscious coupling or you're starting a new career path, or you just want to de declare to yourself, I'm ready to deepen my relationship with myself. I've actually been, um, I've been starting to do these uh, wedding ceremonies with teenagers where I invite them to marry themselves. Wow. And it's just, yeah, it's just so, <sighs> these teens who've experienced, I mean, most humans, right? It, we have our challenges around enoughness and wholeness and worthiness. And then you have these teens who a lot of which who experience significant trauma and are stuck in cycles of poverty. And then I, I offer them this invitation that they could actually choose themselves and they could write these vows or agreements to themselves. And, um, you know, I go and we pick out rings and then, you know, we do this whole thing and it's just, it's just been really, it's been really, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So that is absolutely incredible. And I'm like, did that answer the question? I'm not sure. <laughs> it didn't, but it didn't yeah. in a way that was more interesting <laughs> than if you did. So it was perfect. So the thing that comes right. up in me is I'm going to go and do ayahuasca for the first time in about two weeks. And as soon as you said, mm. she said, I now feel called to get a ring, to bring the ring with me. 
and to make oh. a commitment to marry oh. my potential. Oh. And I'm going to go do Gorgeous. that. Yeah. Yeah, you are. That's, see, and that's the beauty. Oh, wow. Like, for me, part of um, engaging with, with ritual and ceremony is really um, as simple as you just said and you just demonstrated and embodied so delightfully. It's like, I really believe when, when intuition comes, it's, that's, that's God, right? That's source. Yeah. That's spirit becoming in inside you right in spirit inspiration and your willingness to to listen to that and to um you know this is kind of like i think part of being human is this cosmic joke of this great uh forgetting and then this great remembering of like oh right like that which is greater than myself that that's also me um and this this yeah and, and so you just naming that intention right? You just declaring like this ceremony, this is the intention. And then listening to the wisdom of your heart that says, okay, and then I'm going to bring this ring. And then in the ceremony, you getting to really cultivate that beginner's mind and that playfulness and, and dance with that mystery and let yourself be inspired of whatever uh, wants to come to be part of that ceremony and that ritual. The hilarity that I can feel is I had I've been journaling a lot to prepare for ayahuasca and I wrote down these four very analytical questions that I wanted to ask for each night as my intention. <laughs> and I was, I was very in my logos, mm. but hearing this truly feels mm. like I'll still bring those, but really the intention is I want to marry. I want to make a vow to my potential and I'm going to bring a ring. I'm, I'm going to go look for a ring and I'm going to mm. bring it with me and uh, we're going to see what happens. And yes, and you know, and again, so my um, whole thing is how do we weave the sacred and the extraordinary into the seemingly mundane, right? And how do we, again, anything can be a ceremony and, and ritual. Um, you can, it's, uh, you can create a ceremony, you going to find the ring, right? Yeah. You you just you just make a choice because everything is a choice. I oft, it often feels like a choice between love and fear, um, mm -hmm. and every moment is this this choice point, and you get to to decide. Hey, do I in this moment? Perhaps I want to just honor something that's greater than myself. Gratitude, a beautiful way to do that. Um, it's it's kind of this like. A, no wrong way ritual recipe that, that I've created or play with where the first step is really, is really like <laughs> creating, um, weaving a threshold. And sometimes there's way to, to do that in visceral, tangible ways. Like you can draw a line on the earth or use a stick. Um, I literally have like a piece of driftwood that I've gotten from, um, by the coast that I have in my office that I literally put this on the earth and I invite people to really stand on one side of it and really be with what they're letting go of. And people weep and they yeah. sob. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking like, I just put a piece, of, I just put a stick on the ground, right? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I, just, I just put a stick on the floor, right? That's what it looks like. But I decided, we decided, we declared 
with our intention, with our thoughts, with our energy, with our being, hey, this is what this means right now, right? And we get to consciously cross thresholds because we're unconsciously crossing thresholds all the time, Eric, all the time. Life is initiating us whether we're paying attention or not. And we have the opportunity in this lifetime to start paying attention. And so, so yeah, the, the first step is really like, how do we let the ordinary world know that we're interested in the more deeper divine yeah. layers? Yeah. I'm in resonance so with everything is, you know, you're a, saying. A, right? And it's, yeah, we, we're, oh, I just feel um, it's time. It's time. It's time to reclaim these parts of ourselves that you can feel are in our bones. I mean, people have been praying, have been participating in in ritual and ceremony since the beginning of time. And we're still doing it. I mean, think there's, you know, wedding ceremonies and there's the ritual of the ring and, you know, they're still happening. I'm just so interested in how, how we can make it more creative and inclusive and accessible um, you know, again, like I've, I've had ceremony in Porto potty <laughs> yeah. where I'm like at a festival about, about to do a workshop. And I'm like, wow, I really could use, um, you know, connecting to self-love and my power and some intention. And, you know, this is, this is the only place I'm going to be with myself for a minute in spirit. So I'm going to go in the Porto potty. I'm going to feel my feet on the earth. I'm going to connect to that, which is greater. I'm going to call in my ancestors like, hey, homies, if you could chill with me, that would be cool. Love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in my own way, put my crystal on my throat chakra and and set my intention, you know, to show up and, and share my gifts in a good way for the highest good of myself and all beings, right? Walk out of that porto, walk into that workshop, <laughs> feeling grounded, <laughs> having, having found God. Um uh, yeah, and it get, like you know, but I have red lipstick rituals. I have you know before I'm making um, a phone call that might be challenging. I'll pull over my car on the side of the road. Okay, how can I connect to spirit? Right, even dating. Right, I was like, oh god, oh goddess, don't get me started with this. I'm like, what would divine <laughs> dating look like? Is that a get thing? started? Could I make that a thing? I, I'm making that a thing. I did. I did, Eric. I did, and it is. Whew, I I had no idea what was possible when you consciously um, invite spirit and mystery into dating and into partnership. It is like it is like nothing that I've that I've known. Um, Would you be willing to tell a story? It's, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah, of course. I love telling stories. <laughs> um, yeah, so I will. Um, I'll share <laughs> a little bit, or do my best. Um, so once upon, so once upon an Oregon country fair, um, <laughs> this year. Well, I guess it really started once upon an Oregon country fair last summer because apparently uh, portals of love opened for me during festival season. Right. Um, <laughs> so this year, last year, I had um, I went through two separations. I was in a relationship for a really long time. That beautiful human, it just really wasn't serving either of us. And a lot of that was um, he was really uh, navigating some shadow dancing 
And I thought, as some humans do, that I had enough love for both of us. Wee! Um, <laughs> and perhaps, perhaps reenacting um, another familiar relationship, <coughs> mom, yeah. um, was trying, trying to do a yeah, little little saving, a little fixing. Um, and because um, one of my spiritual teachers, who's an ancestor now, Sabonfu Somme, in her book, The Spirit of Intimacy, says that two people are brought together, or two spirits, because spirit wants them to be together. And spirit wants these beings to be together to fulfill their purpose. And I really believe that, and I trust that, and I trust like that whole um, dance of intimacy that I did with that man was absolutely in service to my purpose. And it's actually um, a huge part of where Rites of the Heart was really conceived was in this seeing of, wow, we have to love ourselves in order to love other people. We just have to. We have to. I'm just this like Disney prince, princess, like I'm half of a being and you're half of a being and we'll get together and then I'll be whole. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> Like, no, thanks. I'm much more interested in wholehearted love where we, I'm whole and you're whole and we come together and this juicy Venn diagram happens. And there's this like mysterious, uh, magical um, contribution that comes when we come together, yeah. you know, that we're bright on our own. We're even brighter together. And yeah, I'm just really seeing again, um, there's just so much stories about partnership, about what that is. And I'm just unwilling to accept those. And what I'm seeing now is that sacred partnership can be a healing prayer. Anyway, that's kind of jump jump into a different part of the storyline. Um, so we're back to the cave of shadows where I'm sitting in the cave and I'm trying to sip on the tea with the demons of this man. And that is not how it works. <laughs> you can, you cannot share tea with other humans. Demons. That's hilarious. Uh, it gets saucy. Get saucy in that cave. Uh, the demons in my cave were like, "Hello, <laughs> we made this whole uh, made this whole spread for you, sweetheart. Come in here." Anyway, so um, I really saw that, you know. Um, and as someone who really cares about people, like I really do, I love people so much. In order to love people, we need to love ourselves. So that's part of the the work that I'm doing in this world, and. Um, is bringing people home to their hearts and the greatness and goodness and the wholeness and the enoughness um, that they've always been. And so that relationship finally ended um, and there was a moving out and an untangling. Um, uh, and, and then I met another man at the Oregon Country Fair and that was uh, wonderful until it wasn't. And then, so then this year at fair, I realized I'd had all these thoughts about partnership. Oh, it's going to be hard. And oh, there are no men here. And oh, and you do it online. And oh, vey, it's like a part-time job. <laughs> it's like this whole thing. And, and I was like, you know what? You know what? You know, like, what if that's not true? Like, I love to ask myself with my thoughts, like, is that true? And even if it is true, is that helpful? Right? That's not, that's not really helpful. Right. And so I started calling in this, like, I'm really going to invite in easeful intimacy. This is my prayer. My prayer is for easeful intimacy and divine dating. 
And I don't really know what that looks like, but I know that I don't know how. Because humans, we get so attached to needing to know how. And that doesn't really give a lot of space for miracles to occur if I'm so attached to how it has to look like, right? So I go to FAIR and I realize there's also something about allowing myself to touch into the grief. And I'm realizing like when when we touch into grief, we have to touch into love. And I'm seeing that it feels really important for me to touch into the grief and the gratitude that that were these two partnerships. And I really believe, Eric, there was something to these two ingredients that were part of what opened this portal of love, like really being with, with the grief and the gratitude. And so I even, I went to the spot. So talking about just kind of listening to the rhythm of my heart and my body and letting go of my thinking mind. I just felt my body was like, we, we need to honor this, right? We need to honor what happened here and we need to honor the spirits. And so I went to the spot of the land, to the, to the, the, the grassy dance floor. <laughs> and at the time that I had met this man last summer and I kissed my forehead to the earth and I just thanked the spirits of the land for the gift of that man at the just right time. I said, I thank you for the medicine of that relationship at that just right time of my life. And I trust you spirits. I trust the just right man will come in at the just right time for my highest good and the good of all beings, right? I trust it. And I let myself feel like that aching in me that I'm like, I'm longing for that partnership and for the redefining of what partnership can be. I see, especially in our generation, there's like this desperate restoring of what partnership means. And I see the pendulum has been swinging towards polyamory. And that's, you know, I'm not here to yuck anyone's yums. Like if that's your truth, live your truth. Just like if someone's truth is going to, you know, church, live your truth. Just do that because that's what you want to do, not because someone else told you you're supposed to. And so um, I'm just seeing this opportunity for this rewriting of what does conscious intimacy and could monogamy look like or divine dating. And so I, um, so yeah, I did that little, the gratitude and then really met this incredible man that weekend. And since the beginning of us dating, we have really like every morning we wake up and we thank spirit and we give gratitude and we set our intentions for the day Wow! and we do new moon ritual and we do full moon ritual. And it's, we've said, we're like, you know, fuck all the prescribed shoulds and supposed tos around dating. Like, like he's had beautiful visions. We both have these visions and there was this like, oh God, like, can we share this with this other person? And I'm like, I am so much more interested in us tending the unseen forces and the numinous and the universal field of, of life that connects all things than being like, um, okay, I think I need to wait this amount of time before I really freak you out. Like, I mean, I mean, yeah. guilty. I, I, I did Google Eric, how long before you can tell someone you're in love with them? Okay, I did Google that because I was curious. What, I was curious what the research showed. Okay, I'm not mythos all the time. I was like, what does <laughs> what does research say? You know, which is funny. Which is just, it's so like embedded in us. Like, there's this right or wrong way to be human, and I'm just so committed to liberating people from that. Like there is no right or wrong way to love, to connect to spirit, to be human with other humans in this world. Complete resonance. I want to say amen and a woman. I wanted to come up with a third word for that, but completely. Earth, hallelujah. 
Bertha-lu-ya. 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 Gaia-lu-ya. But I completely resonate. Gaia-lu-ya. Now-a-lu-ya. Now-a-lu-ya. <laughs> I'm curious, what uh, was like, who was the first person that you met growing up that started to introduce you to looking at the world like this? Because this is not how we are indoctrinated by culture. And so I'm curious. Who was the first guidepost or torch, you know, in the dark oh. forest for you? Um, and what age did they come into your life? You know, I have to say that this has been a journey. It's one of those those both ends, perhaps. Um, I also, I really believe, Eric, that that we're constantly sitting at the cosmic bakery nibbling on paradox pie. <laughs> and, and most things are both ends. I love that. It's another it's another really helpful spiritual practice. Oh yeah, everything is both end and how helpful to to know that and to trust that and to live that. Um so both end perhaps there were cosmic breadcrumbs as a child um that I was touching into and I had um quite um experienced a bit of childhood trauma. Um and so there's a bit of my childhood that is a little bit of a mystical fog um, in which I'm so grateful for now uh, and so um, in reverence to the gifts that I received in those shadows. Um, And so I feel it's been more uh, in more recent years that I've kind of come to this way. And I will say uh, once upon a burning (laughs) was perhaps the beginning of a of a, a dusty road, <laughs> a dusty spiraling road um, that brought me to some different ways of seeing and being. I mean, I actually, I think that was the first time I even really understood what community meant. Yeah, in a way that I that I hadn't before, and um, and that you know, and and kind of starting to open my eyes to the sacred synchronicities that now is just a part of my practice of allowing the the field tending the knowing field um to support me as i as i live in every moment because if we cultivate that awareness we can really be be guided in a good way um and then i'll, I'll also say my i did a i did a vision fast and what is that on that vision fast uh so like um spending time on the land, um, fasting without food, um, as many first nations people have done for, for a long time as initiatory rites of passage. Um, so being, uh, actually at Burning Man, a beautiful brother of mine had done a vision fast and fasted on the land. And, and part of the fast is sharing the medicine of that time with your community and the the gifts of nature with your community and so there's a a storytelling which i think is also one of the most ancient ways um that has been lost and um, a reclaiming and a resurfacing certainly needs to occur um but yeah so he invited a few of us to sit in a yurt at burning man and listen to his story of his time on the land and something inside me just you know heard the call it's like, yeah, I'm I'm hungry for that. I don't I don't remember ever being initiated into womanhood. I mean, I had a bat mitzvah, um, which 
when I reflect on, I actually think as uh, growing up in New York City around 11, 12, I actually had to ask my parents if I could go to Hebrew school. And I think that was the young one in me yeah. who was desperate for something to belong to. Um, and and a lot of the really cute boys were going to show uh-huh. to feel, you know, honestly. But also, <laughs> also, um, I think it was, yeah, I wanted something to belong to. And perhaps Judaism was something I could belong to. Just like later in life, fish felt like something yeah. I could belong to. <laughs> Just like, um, yeah, we're... <laughs> we're <laughs> We're um we're hungry for that and um uh, yeah so I I felt this you know my soul my psyche my heart wanted um, a threshold to cross and so there are communities um, doing initiatory rites of passing or vision fasts to help support that that threshold work and so for me at that time I wanted to honor my um, coming into womanhood also coming into more earth-based ways. Again, I grew up in the concrete jungle um, where I thought nature lived in Central Park. (laughs) Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Like Central Park rules, right? Been to the boathouse, so fun. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, and then as I've gotten older, it's like, wow, it actually, it feels essential to spend time in wild nature so we can see our own wild and true nature reflected to us. And so, um, so yeah, I, I ended up really being fortunate for this beautiful man, um, Jared Azuma, uh, who also continues to do this kinds of men's work, initiatory men's work um, with men. And him and his beautiful wife, Carrie, helped organize a vision fast through the Condor clan that was out of California for a bunch of uh, curious, uh, woo-woo curious New Yorkers, you know? (laughs) And uh, so we, uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, uh, preparing for this. And um, it's interesting. It's actually, I, I finished my graduate program in New York City for social work at the Silberman School of Social Work at Hunter College. And then decided to take a little time, um, you know, swimming in the pool of self-discovery and self-growth, did a Vipassana, did my yoga teacher training at the Mystical Yoga Farm on Lake Atatitlan in Guatemala, and then did the Vision Fast, you know, like, as as some of us do. Graduate, <laughs> graduate school. Aggressive exploration of spirit and self. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, so then I'm doing the vision fast and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get the vision. I'm going to find out my purpose. <laughs> like, here we go. And what was funny is how, how, how much time I spent on that land thinking I'm doing it wrong. I was like, God, these other women, they are more spiritual than me. They're doing it right. Like they're talking to God. Like there must have been some math class and some mathematical equation to God. And maybe I slept through it. Like, I don't know. And here I am like singing about chocolate covered stones and like lizard pie and just cracking up. I'm like, is this spiritual? And it was, it was kind of like, you know, um, um, micro dark night of the soul a little bit of that flavor of this kind of like my ego being annihilated in a wonderful way and i really got like wait do do i am i really like thinking that i could be doing this wrong 
like that there is a right way to connect to that which is greater than myself. And it was this, and in that moment, I actually didn't realize that that moment would be so pivotal into the work that I'm doing now. Um, and I think that was about four years ago. And, um, and only recently have really seen how that, that was a huge moment for me of, of really getting like the sacred can be silly, right? Like the sacred is whatever I say it is. Who's to say that I had any less of an experience, um, if it didn't look some certain way and then who, you know, like, where do we get these preconceived notions that spirituality has to look a certain way? Like it needs to have this certain dogma or you need to be wearing like the spiritual swag or you need to say the just right words. So God, goddess, creator, creatrix, you know, the divine hears you. Like, I just don't buy that. Yeah. Yeah. I fucking love that. And I feel to kind of to want to get the context of uh, the container that is you because it's fucking fascinating. Um, I'm going to kind of go back to some of my favorite questions. And the first one is, what is your first memory? <sighs> so the, the first thing that comes up, a first memory would be that one time that my grandmother – Lillian Paul uh, was, <laughs> so I guess this story really begins um, with my mother in labor with my little sister at the hospital and my grandmother, bless her heart, wanting to give the firstborn child a little bit of attention, right? Um, and so she takes me to the toy store and I remember we're looking at the toys and I remember this red stroller and I'm like super hyped on it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get this stroller. I'm not sure if I thought that's what I was going to push the new baby around or a doll. Um, but definitely I thought the stroller was really cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting this red stroller and with grandma and we're going to the escalator and I'm not sure what happens next, but the next thing I know, grandma is rolling like a matzo ball, a giant matzo ball avalanche of giant matzo ball down the escalator, dramatically pushes me back so I do not fall, rolls down the escalator, scrapes up her knee, and the medics come, and they're like, we got to take you to the hospital. And of course, my <laughs> neurotic, beautiful old Jewish grandma's like, you got to take me to where my daughter's in labor. And they're like, no, that is ridiculous. You need to go to the one that's closest. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. And then she's like, yes. And so, of course, I remember I'm like in the ambulance and I'm in the front. I'm having a great time. I'm pushing buttons. I'm like, wee. My grandma's in the back sobbing. They're calling my father. <laughs> they call my father. So they get to the hospital and they go to him and they say, your daughter is in the emergency room. So somehow there's something gets lost in translation. Um, <laughs> my dad is like, Whoa. Yeah. So my dad's like, okay, so, so I guess I'm not going to tell my wife. I'm just going to kind of casually sneak out and check on my daughter who's in the emergency room. So he goes to the emergency room and then he's like, oh, phew, it's just my mother-in-law. Right. So then they take me and I'm thinking like, this is like Disney world. Like, this is fun. I'm like, we are on an adventure. I get chocolate cake. <laughs> I remember somehow I remember getting chocolate cake being put in a room. And I think they put on like a telenovela or something for me. Right. So I'm watching like soaps, um, <laughs> which, which apparently I loved, 
One of my, this is a great segue. One of my other earliest memories is directing, (laughs) I I shit you not, you can't make this stuff up, is directing 90210 on the nursery school playground. Okay. I'm like, (laughs) first of all, who's letting me watch that? Like, why is that happening? Like, why? And second of all, like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. And then you kiss them, right? Okay. And then this. Um, I, I even thought that I made that up, but I had somehow connected with, um, two women later in life. I don't remember if it was like through Facebook or IRL. But uh, they were like, you were the one with 90210 <laughs> at the 92nd Street. Why? I'm like, oh, I knew it. So anyway, those are two early That's memories hilarious. of me. One is getting to be there when my little sister was born um, in a way, in a dramatic way. Um, and then um, doing a little uh, casual directing, directorial debut. <laughs> what's interesting to me is what i see in both of those stories so one of my intuitions is that like our first couple of memories really set a strong tone for how the world feels to us and that first memory feels like something significant is happening but i am being taken care of and i can be like i can be in the energy of the child because i can feel that i have these ancestors Mm. or these spirits taking care of me and that feels like a theme in your life. Oh. And the other one is um, you were hosting ceremonies as a child. <laughs> and the first ceremony that you knew how to do was 90210. <laughs> I, I do feel very passionately in the power of sacred theater. Um, there yeah. is something to, to sacred theater as well as sacred improv. And they both have their, their place and their... absolutely their healing powers. Yeah. It's so interesting. I do. um, I've been very curious about the soul recently, (laughs) this, this, this thing they call soul. (laughs) Um, And really believing that we, you know, we each come into this world with this, this unique um, soul essence. Michael Mead calls it the genius, right? We have this, this soul essence and then, amen. Right. Amen. A woman, earth, hallelujah. Soul-a-lu-yah. We can keep playing with that word throughout this. Um, <laughs> always. So, <laughs> always. Um, and so, yeah, so part of this human experience is discovering, like, what is this essence of my soul and finding the delivery system to express that essence. And then we see these, these clues as we're children of, of our soul powers, right? And so we get – we I've just been – also curious and, and looking back as I'm tending my own, um, you know, really feeling all of us are here to remember that we are integral parts of the divine here to, you know, really share our gifts. Uh, looking, being curious about those clues. And so feeling there are clues as we are children of ways we are expressing the the essence of soul. And then we get older and it's almost like, you know, the dark night happens where it feels like everything is lost. Um, and we are in this discovery of really, who am I? The, the quintessential question of adolescence. And if it continues, we continue to, to be with it. Um, but this, this, who am I, what am I here to do? I find again, as a therapist, um, that seems like 
that's really what I want to do to people, like happy, sad feelings. Like I'm not attached to people feeling joy. I mean, that, that those things are not um, permanent. They're fleeting. But I, if someone can connect to their gifts and a sense of purpose in this world and something that lights them up, like, yeah, that's that's what I want. I want them to connect to that um, the essence of their soul and the, the authentic expression of that. And so, and for so many people who are in this, this space of this falling apart, our culture pathologizes them and medicates them. Yeah. When, when who's to say, maybe that's the just right edge walking that they need to do, you know, and historically in the village during initiation, you know, young ones would leave and some would not come back. They would die. Right. And then when they did, they knew who they were. They knew. And the village acknowledge them as men or or young women and our culture is like not really willing to do that and i'm not saying that's good or bad you know i'm not saying let's like bring back lions or bring forward lions right and i'm just (laughs) i'm curious i'm curious i'm curious about it i'm curious about i mean even you know how often do we even apologize for crying like I'm, i'm sorry like you're sorry for feeling i was just um I was just with a dear sister last night and kind of holding a, a ceremony. It was the the 10 year anniversary of her mother crossing through the veil. And so, you know, just inviting a little yeah. a little ceremony around that. And again, I love, you know, like the no wrong way to pray. We're like, you know, reading old old journals of her mother and, you know, there's like like I'm literally <laughs> we <laughs> I was wearing um which I'm still wearing, by the way, is a shark onesie, which I've named Shlomo the Shabbat shark, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is this whole other story of how I want to bring back um, Shabbat in a no wrong way to pray way. Anyway, but back, I'm, I'll put that on another sticky note over here. But um, so with this, I love morning, it. talking about <laughs> talking about about grief and our culture is just so afraid of touching into grief and she shared so beautifully that like grief is this animal and we need to move like animals when we're in our grief. And I'm like, yes, I want to live in a world where we can hold each other sobbing and wailing and that's okay. Or like even just crying is okay. I mean, how often do I see, um, I've led, I've facilitated women's circles for over four years and a woman is crying in the circle and this other woman goes to, to touch her shoulder and, and it's beautiful. It's from a beautiful kind place. And both and paradox pie, it's also a part of that woman's discomfort. It makes us feel uncomfortable to see people in their discomfort. And when we try to mitigate it, you know, or cajole them into okayness, we're robbing them of their emotional growth and evolution. Yeah. Let people feel their feelings. I have a few things I'm passionate about, apparently, that are coming through today. No, I fucking love it. And I want to say absolute yeah as uh instead of amen <laughs> a woman. <laughs> absolute yeah. Yes. Yes. Spell casting. Well, we are. We are. This is us. We're in a spell casting right now. You and I. Um, this is amen. what this amen. is. Like it, and all of us, all the time. And I'm not saying like spiritually bypass, you know, don't like say no. what's true. 
and be mindful of how you're speaking your truth, right? If I say to you, Eric, if I started this podcast, like, yeah, like, um, my name is Elizabeth Suzanne Shapiro. I'm a nincompoop. Okay. You'd be like, oh, okay. Well, (laughs) I guess that's true. Like you said so, right? Like I'm like, we're constantly claiming who we are. And if I say, yeah, I'm a courageous, creative, compassionate, capable woman, right? Ooh, that, that becomes Mm. true because I said so. And I get to live into that story, right? I love, I love the name of your podcast, the myths that make us like we can sacralize our wounds at any time and create our lives like the mythical tales that we are and tap into the protagonists that we are of our own lives because because we can and like again i just feel this i feel really passionate about reclaiming our imagination right like oh well i, I saw that i don't think that's real or like oh well i don't that's a fairy tale i'm i am actually pissed off at every time that i was told to stop daydreaming right like yeah. that's how we manifest our whole reality is through the, our imaginal realm. And I'm just seeing again, um, the, the power to heal that we have there. Yeah. Like I, I actually recently, um, wrote, um, kind of transmuted some of my own childhood trauma into a, into a mythical tale called the blue eyed sorceress made of stardust. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was so, I fucking love that. It was so yeah and it was so and then because i am um more interested in choosing love and healing than what's quote unquote right or being afraid i've read the story to some of the teenagers that i've worked with right and i think that some people would say yeah. oh you know a therapist like you can't disclose yourself it's not about you and of course it's not and i really check in and i listen with the ears of my heart what will serve what will serve and i've had two of the most profound experiences with young people hearing my story and crying and seeing themselves in it and being inspired to write their own stories that are, oh, like the beauty. It's just because we, it's like we all have wounds, right? And we all have shadows. And if you're willing to look, then you really see that life has always been happening for us and not to us. And what a shift of schmutz on the soul goggles. (laughs) yeah and um if i'm hearing my intuition um it's feeling like it wants to ask you would you be willing to share that story oh my goddess like on a right now kind of way in a right now kind of (laughs) way um you know what eric I have an agreement to live a magical and a courageous life and to to consistently choose courage um, so as fear arises to do the scary shit anyway. So I will say yes to that. Um, it will take um, a logistical moment in the earth realm where I would, would need to grab something if that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> that is all right. And thank you for saying yes. Um, I, um, there are butterflies, a break dancing in my, uh, <laughs> heart center right now. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, all right. And I am 
preparing myself for quite the vulnerability hung hangover, and that is all just right. Okay. <sighs> Thank you for for being um, for being interested in hearing my story, Eric. Absolutely, truly, it yeah, it feels like the way. <sighs> Great. So, the blue-eyed sorceress made of stars. Once upon a time, under the fullness of the moon, on Friday the 13th, in a jungle of concrete, a blue-eyed dimpled star fell from the sky and a witch was born. A vibrant twinkle in her eyes made her mother soon realize the child was special. She had been kissed by the goddess. The baby girl was born into urban royalty. Her mother and father were the king and queen of the Upper East Side, and they thought it best to hide the truth. Her mother had once been one of the most powerful sorceress in the lands of Island Strong. She had been brilliant and strong. After falling in love with the charismatic king, he convinced her to stop practicing magic, to marry him and take her place as queen by his side. In this choice, she lost her voice. She lost her power. It changed her. Oh, she loved that little one so much. She thought the king was probably right. The common people could not understand or accept her powers. So she kept the secret. The king was often gone for many, many moons, traveling to other kingdoms, laying with many maidens. When the king returned to the castle, the queen and him would slam doors and lock themselves in the throne room, screaming. The echoing shrills and shrieks pierced the heart of the princess. The queen became cold. Her heart turned to ice. Her eyes crusted with ice. She lost her true vision. She drank ale and ate herbs to sedate her, to escape the pain of her aching soul. She began to lay with, with the guards of the castle just to make the king jealous so he would fight for her. He did not. She wanted so desperately to feel loved. The queen saw the way the king loved the princess, and she became jealous. She would say things like, if the castle burns down, who will you save, me or the girl? The king would shake his head. The ice queen's magic got a little wonky. She would constantly split and, and say horrible things to the little girl and, and then be kind and loving. The princess did not understand the, the cruelty and the inconsistency. She felt as though she was walking on a palace floor covered in eggshells. Egg shells. She never knew which queen she would get. The princess was always a very good girl. Didn't feel safe for her to be any other way. Although she didn't know it, she was radiating magic. She had a bright light within her that only grew brighter, despite the pain endured behind the castle walls. She was kind. She was curious. 
She was clever. She loved to sing. Her songs were spells of hope and healing. She would shine her light, and the children and the elders were magnetized. She did not know her resiliency. She did not know she was casting spells. The king and queen had another child to keep up kingdom appearances to save their splintered marriage. The princess became her protector. She felt responsible for the ice queen's health and happiness. She felt responsible to protect the new princess from the queen's wrath. And so she did. When the king and queen would slam doors screaming, the princess would take her little sister into the garden and they would create elaborate spells to soothe her tiny sister's tender heart. And so her powers grew in the shadows. One day, the witch decided to show the king and queen of her magic. King, king, I've got something to show you. Not now, dear, I've got to ride this liger to the other realm. Queen, queen, I want to. Her mother smelt of liquor. She stumbled. These days, she stayed in her bedroom, waiting for ravens, waiting for news of enemy attacks. Mommy, I want to show you, you selfish little witch. You'll never become anything. Why don't you ask the king to pay for a new nose for you, fat girl? When you and your sister leave this castle, I'm drinking this poison and you'll be rid of me forever and I'll stop wasting space. The princess's heart broke. She felt so unseen. Maybe if her her magic was better, just it must not have been good enough. That must have been it. It just wasn't good enough. If she had been good enough, maybe she could have saved the queen. She stopped practicing magic. She stopped singing. She stopped believing. Then one day, she decided to escape to a place where no one would know she was a witch or a princess. She put down her magic and she picked up books and she traveled to university. (laughs) There, she met... (laughs) There, she met a jubilant jester... The jester convinced her to go to the desert with a caravan of gypsies and clowns and artists and healers and magicians. (gasps) There's a safe place for magicians? The startled princess whispered. Of course, a place for radical self-expression and acceptance. The princess trusted and for the first time discovered community. A sense of belonging set her soul free. She felt safe to be herself. In the desert, she met a lonely knight. She could feel the darkness in his brilliant mind. She thought she could save him in a way she could not save the queen. She spent years with this tortured knight, and he asked her to hide her powers to make herself less bright. And she really, really loved him, so she thought, all right, Her wounds had made her so desperate for love. Believing she was not enough, she got the love she thought she deserved. Now, this knight traveled with a fluffy, enchanted companion, a giant white wolf. And the wolf whispered in the ear of the witch, You have learned the lessons, magic one. 
Your time with him is done. You are a healer, but not like this. You never need to sacrifice yourself or your bliss. Choose you first. Break this curse. (sighs) She closed her eyes. She placed a hand on her heart. She took a deep, nourishing, delicious breath. (sighs) And when she opened her eyes, it was like seeing clearly for the first time with the true words the wolf had spoken. The trance of unworthiness had been broken. I am your ally, two-legged queen. I saw you and I sharing medicine with the world lifetimes ago in a dream. It's time to go. He nudged her with his pink wet nose. She climbed on the creature's back and they flew towards the moon, full like the day she was born. They howled together. She was remembering. She was rewilding. She was reclaiming her sacred song. Stardust began to pour from the lips of the sorceress. It fell from her mouth and made its way to her heart. The stardust filled all the cracks. Her song became louder and more stardust spilled out, sprinkling down from the skies and finding its way into the hearts of all the humans on earth. And they knew in that moment peace. They knew in that moment love. They knew wholeness. When the stardust finally found its way to the queen, the ice around her heart began to melt. She looked up at the night sky and smiled. She walked to the dungeon closet and dusted off her old wand. (sighs) And that is the end or perhaps the beginning. That is truly one of the most incredible moments that I've ever had on this podcast. And thank you. (laughs) And I truly believe um, that the creation of this podcast and the idea behind it was meant to meet this moment. And I truly believe that Mm -hmm. um, what you just did, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit after, but I think hundreds of people <laughs> over the next couple of months are going to try to do this for themselves. And so what I want to ask for them is imagine you have a thousand people listening right now who truly believe in the idea that the myth that we tell ourselves makes us. How would you invite them to do this for themselves? Well, perhaps there's a ceremony in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, the the making the myths that make us a ceremony of of reclaiming true self, or a ceremony of of creativity and restoring and and holding and healing. because I do see that really it's just setting an intention, right? Uh, letting go of any attachment. I had no idea that that story would dream its way into being the way that it did and would become a prayer for my mother. That's what yeah. it feels like. 
a healing prayer for my mother and and also that I, I um, yeah, it's really powerful to think of your life like that and um, to use the imaginal realm and the power of story and continue to play with that, you know, as, as challenge arises. Okay, if I'm the sorceress and which ally can I draw upon and, yeah. you know, life is empty and meaningless and it's empty and meaningless that it's empty and meaningless. So why not um, make it up in a way that serves us? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I would... I would invite people to let go of thinking there's any way to do it right. And if you can, to any way that supports a melting from that brilliant mind into the really, truly wise and wild, precious heart. Um, and a writing it just for oneself, you know. Um, yeah, and perhaps if it resonates, um, creating that that sacred space, um, you know, um, a calling in, an invoking, which can be, again, a calling in that which is greater than ourselves. Um, it can be calling in anything that one helps allow to that, that you know that you're you're connecting into a sacred space. So whether you're calling in, you know, God, goddess, creator, mystery, spirit, uh, Mother Earth, Mother Teresa, Mr. Rogers, Jerry Garcia, you know, you're lighting <laughs> a candle, you're, you know, whatever you're doing that that creates that that sacred space and asking for support, right? Like we're we're not truly walking alone. Like it's like maybe fear would be impossible if we really remembered who we always walked with, our ancestors and spirit. Um, so yeah, perhaps. Um, really creating a, a sacred space because this is to me the the sacralizing of the wound and creating a mythical tale it, it is it is a, a ritual of self-love and self-care yeah. um, and and an, and a pretty epic uh rite of passage for oneself on their heart's quest again that was truly one of the most special moments i've ever had on the podcast it feels like oh. Spirit is beaming through you at me, inviting me to what I know is my task to do. Like, it's so clear. Um, I'm going to do this for my life and for my wounds. And um, it feels yes, like it's going to yes. be a part of the marrying my potential um, that's going to happen when I go and I do ayahuasca. I don't think, I know that this is not a coincidence. So I just want to say thank you. For being an absolute <laughs> rupture in my conscious mind at, to serve as a portal to my intuition. And, um, you know, I vow to you that I'm going to follow through on what I feel right now. Well, I am happy to take on being your accountability buddy, dear one, and uh, to reach out and, and see how the tending of your, your myth is going. And I'd, I'd love to hear it when it, when it's written and to hear about your, your journeying in the upcoming weeks as well, if whatever you feel called to share with me. Absolutely. It will be shared. <laughs> truly deepest gratitude. Uh, I'm going to have to have you on the podcast a couple of more times. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> you have a real gift and um, thank you for sharing it with me and my audience today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just am so grateful for my willingness to keep showing up and saying yes. 
you know, I'm just so clear that like, it's not about me, right? It's not about me. It's not about you. And we are the ones to do this work in this moment, in this lifetime. Um, just like everyone is on their own hero and heroine's journey, doing their just right work. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for yeah. this invitation to to show up. Um, it's really, I'm just so grateful to be at a point in my life where I just get to keep being myself and <laughs> and living life in that way and seeing the 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 impact that has on other people when you're just really being authentic and practicing being whole. And yeah. thank you for being <laughs> willing to do that publicly. Cause I think that that is the call to people uh, now is that we have the opportunity to do this in the light and the light is brighter than it's ever been because of the technology mm. that we have now. And, you know, I'm going to continue mm. to do what I can do in the light. And I appreciate that you're doing it as well. And honoring the shadows, you know, the light and the mm. shadows and, and the, you know, we need them both. That that paradox pie, you know, we need them both. We need to know the dark to be in the light. Um, and I just really, um, you know, I feel like sometimes we're like a shadow phobic society. And For it's sure. seems important just to name the 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 gifts of the descent, you know, and the, the light, the light of soul at the bottom of that descent that's that's there for us. I love that phrase, the gift of the descent. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm absolutely going to have to go on bar to integrate all of this. Um, I hope that you have a beautiful day. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, oh, you will yeah. come back. On this is multiple, a very. Times. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, dear, dear, gorgeous soul. I am. Um, yeah, may you have an incredibly nourishing right now. Thank you again for this opportunity.